Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We did a giant preview show with Sean Mirage a couple weeks ago at the outside of training camp. This week, we're going to Gang Green. I'm going to be joined again by former Jet wide receiver Rob Carpenter on the podcast. Rob and I will break down the big headlines surrounding the Jets as they get ready for their first preseason game, ironically against the Giants this Thursday. We're also going to have an interesting baseball conversation with Mike Demertis, a frequent guest on this podcast. This is not a regular, you know, headlines, who's playing well, who's not. It's sort of a state of the game conversation I had with him a while back. So I got a chance to put it out there. Think of some interesting stuff in there. Get a chance to check that out later in the show. Be sure you're locking until the end of this week's two-minute drill, where I continue the Phil's film review. There's a lot of football-related shows coming out. This week, I'm going to take a look at the latest season of the Amazon Prime series, All or Nothing. It's going in-depth on the Carolina Panthers. That is coming up as well. But we'll get it all rolling with this week's opening tip, where we take a look at the trade deadline recap, what happened there, all that good stuff coming up right after this. Wow! Zach Greinke traded to the Houston Astros. Blockbuster. Uh, That's a blockbuster and a great deal. I mean, my gosh, think about that rotation now. You know what? I'm sorry. (laughs) If Zach Greinke was on the block, shame on those other clubs that needed pitching. All right, we are back. This week's opening tip. You guys heard the reaction from MLB Tonight's crew after the Astros pull off the move of the deadline, landing Zach Greinke from the Arizona Diamondbacks with... $24, $25 $25-ish million in salary to offset that big contract he has for four prospects. This trade deadline was weird. The one deadline thing did definitely shook things up. A lot of talk, not a ton of action until late in the day on, on Wednesday when the deadline happened. The big takeaway for me, the Yankees did nothing. That's an absolute stunner. Going into this deadline, the Yankees had several clear needs. The starting rotation got beaten up the week before in Minnesota and Boston. They have issues there. You figured they're going to get somebody to start. If not, you figure they get a bullpen arm. I had Dan Federico on the podcast last week. He said they will probably end up with like a Lance Lynn, a Robbie Ray, some of that middle rotation type of quality. But they ended up with nothing. Brian Cashin clung tight to those prospects, would not move Davey Garcia, would not move Esteban Floreal, would not move Clint Frazier, who is still bashing AAA, even though the Yankees continue to get lit up by injuries, such as Aaron Hicks going down over the weekend and Glaber Torres getting hurt last night. All those guys, were he hung on to them. He wouldn't move them. This could come back to bite them in the butt against the Astros. Where do they go from here? Where are the Yankees going? Maybe Dave Garcia is coming up, like Federico hinted at last week on the podcast. Otherwise, you're sitting here and you're hoping that Luis Severino comes back and is able to contribute in September. May not a full-length starting pitcher. Maybe he's going three, four innings at a time, sort of like the idea, the guy behind the opener of the role that Nestor Cortez and uh, Luis Sessa and the like have been filling all year. You may be hoping Del Batantis comes back and he's that bullpen arm that they need. But that's a lot of hoping. Hope is not a strategy. Even the Mets, the Mets did something. Now, you can argue whether or not they should have done more or less, but they did something. The Yankees did nothing, and they're hoping they all works out for them, and that is never a good plan. 
The Mets, on the other hand, very interesting deadline. Obviously, they got Marcus Stroman and trade Jason Vargas we talked about last week, but nothing else happened beyond that. The Mets asked for the moon and the stars for their guys. They asked for a lot for Noah Syndergaard and pulled him off the block on Tuesday night after his big performance in Chicago. They asked for a ton for Zach Wheeler, didn't meet the price. And the context right now is the Mets are what they are. They basically did one thing. They put in Marcus Stroman. They sent out Jason Vargas. They upgraded the rotation there. Didn't get bullpen help. Did not get pieces for the bench. But they are trying to win this season. And obviously, they're doing pretty good right now. I mean, entering play on Monday, they have moved within one game under 500, three games out of a playoff spot, four against the Marlins in the next three days, and then they have a big series of watching this week. And I'm fine with this. If you did not meet the price you set for Zach Wheeler, that's fine. Keep him. Let him pitch for you. Extend the qualifying offer. Maybe you keep him. Maybe you deal Syndergaard in the winter. But I'm fine with that. I have two issues, though, with how Brody approaches deadline. Number one, if you're staying in it, and if you are dumping Jason Vargas just to clear the rotation spot for Stroman, which is what Brody Van Wagen said last week, did you have to send him to the Phillies? Did you have to help out one of the teams you're chasing in the race? I get they still have six games left with the Phillies and have chances to catch up with them, but the last thing is you need to do if you're trying to win is to help out your competition. That's not good strategy. And number two, as I just said, if you are staying in the race, and that's, they made that clear, they believe they can win this year, why are you not adding a bullpen arm or a bench piece to help you out right now? Instead, the Mets rode the middle again. They did a little bit for this year, something for next year. Again, they're hoping everything comes together. They get back their injured guys, that guys like Edwin Diaz get back on track and they'll be in the playoff hunt. Hope is not a strategy. They should supplement this course somehow. Bring in a guy like Astro Cabrera, just clear waivers. Bring in a reliever off the scrap heap like Cody Allen or Brad Brock. Try and hope he catch lightning in a bottle. That's it. That's where the Mets are right now. As far as the rest of the league goes, Mad Bump stays put. No shocker there. Trevor Bauer gets traded in one of the strangest deals I've ever seen. The Indians flip him his year and a half of control for two athletes who can help right now. Yasiel Puig, a rental. Framing the race with a 30 homer guy. They also get a top 100 pitching prospect from the Padres, who were in this trade for some reason just to get a double A outfielder who's highly touted. This is a major overpay from the Reds. I don't understand what they're thinking. I, they're not going to be in it this year. They're throwing all that stuff in the table in the hopes that they get a guy next year to help them in the playoffs. Will it happen? We'll see. Indians, big winner, though. Braves a big winner, adding three relievers to their bullpen. Shane Green, Mark Melanson, taking out the money from the Giants. Chris Martin. All those pieces should help. The Nationals also added three arms to their bullpen, even though a couple of them got hurt. Daniel Hudson, Hunter Strickland, Rowanis Elias. The Cubs pick up Nicholas Castellano from Detroit. Shaky defender, but a nice bat to add to the middle of that lineup. The A's get Tanner Roark. Another starter to go with Homer Bailey. Do what the A's do. They bring in a couple of fringe starters, show off the rotation. They're going to make a run at the wild card again. The big winners, though, obviously the Houston Astros. They get Granky, as we discussed. They also add Joe Biagini and Aaron Sanchez from the from the Blue Jays. And that deal's a little underrated. The Astros know what they're doing. They get guys they want. And simply put, if the Astros are calling you, asking you for a guy and he is not performing for you, you have to sit there thinking, what do they see that I don't? 
what is it that they see in my guy that I can't figure out my own? So I'm expecting Aaron Sanchez to go there. He pitched well before in Toronto, struggled now, but I think he's going to be good there. Astros dig up a ton for Granke, get two huge pitching prospects, two other recent high draft picks, and I think they had to do it. This move makes them World Series favorites. Granke goes in that rotation behind Justin Verlander, behind Garrett Cole as the three-starter. How are the Yankees competing with that? How is anybody competing with that? Very fair question. Losers. Cardinals, I would say a loser. Didn't They did not do a ton at the deadline. They shipped out Jed Jerko, brought in two lefty relievers. Not great when you're in a tight division race. The Twins only landed Sergio Romo, which I think they needed a starter. If they didn't get one, they could get problematic with the Indians right on their heels. But the biggest losers of the week are the Yankees. The Yankees knew what they needed to do. They have a potentially special team. But at this point in time, Brian Cash has become a prospect hugger. That is not good. You have to go for it here. I don't care what the price is. You should have found a way to get Bungar off the Giants. And then sending Clint Frazier and Davey Garcia out to San Francisco, I think you do it. You need that difference-making pitcher. He is there, and I think you have to find a way to get it done. If we're sitting here in the middle of October, the Yankees are losing to Houston because they saw Jay Happ get lit up in the third game of the division series. Zach Greinke throws a one-hit shutout at Yankee Stadium. We're going to look back at his moment and say, you know what? They should have done whatever it takes to get the job done. It's a shame for the Yankee fans. I don't think the players are too happy either. The fact they got no help. But we'll see. Up next, we're going to talk some Jets. We're going to talk to Rob Carpenter right after this. Corwell into the backfield. Arnold wide open at the 15-yard line. 10-5. Touchdown, Chris Herndon. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard with CBS's Greg Gumbel breaking down a touchdown pass from Sam Darnold to Chris Herndon last year for the Jets. Big expectations for the Jets this year entering the season with a new head coach, new offensive weapons. Happy to be joined by a guy I had on. Talk about the Jets back in January when they're looking for a head coach. Former Jets wide receiver Rob Carpenter is back on the podcast. Rob, welcome back. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Nice to be here again. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Last time I talked to you, the Jets had not hired a head coach. Since then, they hired Adam Gase. Did you like the hire of Adam Gase as the Jet coach? I actually did. Um, because of the fact that he's, a, he's an offensive-minded coach, and Sam going into his second year, I think that would help him develop uh, a lot faster than, uh, than a defensive-minded coach. And Gase has had some, you know, uh, a lot of positive uh, outcomes with, with some of the quarterbacks that he's worked with. Yeah, he's, he's definitely had success. He did some good things with Tannehill, Peyton Manning, Jay Cutler down the line. I think the Jets did a good job in the offseason helping out Darnold, getting a lot of peace in there. How do you think they did as a whole in the offseason? I think they did very well. Uh, the one thing I could say that they uh, are lacking at the moment, which is not really a big deal, especially with the where they uh, just signed Ryan Khalil, one thing everybody was hoping that did was uh, short up the offensive line. But as far as overall talent on the team, this offseason, I think they did a very good job. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And obviously, one of the things I'm excited about as a Jet fan is having Sam Darnold here. I feel like a lot of cars make a big leap from year one to year two, like with we saw Patrick Mahomes last year, like with Mitch Trubisky. How big a leap do you think he can make from year one to year two in this new system? I think it could be pretty good, um, and it'd be a pretty big leap. Uh, especially if you saw the way he played at the end of the year uh, last year. You know, I think one thing that helped him was the fact when he got injured, he was able to sit down and watch uh, the veteran quarterback. And so when he came back, he was playing at a very high level. Um, and I think he can carry that over to this year, and especially with Gates being uh, 
being involved. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, uh, the positive impact that he's had on uh, quarterbacks in the past, I think Sam is going to make a tremendous jump from uh, his year one to year two. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the supporting cast they put around. They brought in some good running backs, Le'Veon Bell, Ty Montgomery, Jamison Crowder in for the slot. So how do you think they did it in terms of putting weapons around the quarterback? I think they did a lot better in terms of giving him more options to work with. A whole lot better. Um, I think this team is actually going to be better overall. Uh, offensively, a lot of that is going to help Sam. It's going to help him in, in, in his read because with Le'Veon Bell back there, everyone knows. You know, he's, he's one of the top running backs in the league. Uh, he's going to be this year. That one year off is probably going to help him tremendously because, you know, he's, his body didn't take a beating last year. So he's got a chance to rest. Um, Crowder in the, in the slot, he's a great slot receiver. That's going to help him. Uh, we've got Herndon, who's actually going to miss the first, first four games of the year. But, you know, he's a tremendous talent at tight end. And, and that helps out a young quarterback as well. Guys on the outside, Robbie, Quincy. I mean, there's talent all around his offense, and it's going to help Sam uh, in the long run. The only thing he has to do is just, you know, slow down on the turnovers, and if he does that, this, this offense is going to take off. Yeah, you mentioned Jamison Crowder. We've heard reports already this year that Jamison Crowder and Darnold are building a good chemistry. The practices, they seem to be hitting each other pretty well, having a lot of sync, a lot of chemistry. So as a former receiver, I wanted to ask you, What's the key to building that chemistry with your quarterback in terms of getting him to trust you and you sort of know, oh, I can trust Jamison to go out here and do this? How do you develop that with your quarterback? It's the work. Um, when you guys are in meetings and, and when you get on the same page in meetings and you see when you get out on the field, you pretty much see the same thing. So uh, if those guys are in meetings and they see the same thing and, and Sam is giving his input and Jamison is giving his input, as well as the other receivers, uh, you know, as long as everybody is giving the same input, they see the same thing, once you go out on the field, you just work on the little things. Your quarterback will get the nuances of what a receiver does uh, in his route running, and a, a receiver will get how a quarterback reads an offense really quick as long as those guys are working together. And it seems like it worked out really quick from, from OTAs through, through training camp right now. Yeah, it does seem like they're doing pretty well. I'm also excited to see what Le'Veon Bell does because, I mean, the stuff I'm hearing about how they want to not just use him a running back but deploy him out in the slot, use him as a pass catch. I feel like they're going to have a lot of creative ways to use him. Um, well, he did that when he was in Pittsburgh. You know, if you, if you watch the stuff that he did when he was with the Steelers, uh, they did the same thing. They know that his matchup against linebackers is a nightmare for the linebacker. Not too many linebackers are going to be able to cover Levy on one-on-one. Um, and he can be used as a decoy as that as well, because if you actually put him out in the slot, uh, you actually even put him out wide, him one-on-one with a linebacker is not ideal for, for the defense, so they actually have to cover up someone else with him as well. So that takes two, two guys away from the defense, and somebody else is going to have one-on-one. And the weapons the Jets have, one-on-ones can work. Yeah, and you, you meant another thing. Big headline that came out last week: the Jets obviously filled the big hole in the offensive line. They signed center Ryan Khalil last week, the five-time Pro Bowler from the Panthers, who had retired, and they came out of retirement. It'd be a big help for Sam Darnold in the year two. How important is it to have that veteran center in there to help the young quarterback in terms of like identifying like protections, changing changing things in the line, and stuff like that? That's huge. Um, the center is usually the quarterback of the offensive line. The only thing that concerns me a little bit now is the fact that he's just now getting in and the offensive line group is usually the, the group that takes the longest to, to gel. Um, but again, he's a veteran. He's a pro bowler. Everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows the type of uh, player that he is. So I don't think it's going to take him long to get used to what's going on. I don't think it's going to take him get, to get long to get used to Sam. And it's just the other guys on the offensive line getting used to his calls and knowing how he works. But again, we have some veterans there. Um, on the offensive line now. So uh, I don't think it's going to take them too long. And, and Le'Veon 
made a comment the other day. He's just going to try to get used to how the offensive line works so he can maximize what they do. Yeah, Le'Veon's going to be a big beneficiary of that line. He's a very patient runner. It'll be fun to see. Let's go to the other side of the ball for a minute on the defense. So they made some big pickups on the defense this year, including C.J. Mosley from the Ravens, drafting Quinton Williams. I think that group looks as a whole. Um, one of the biggest pickups, I think, for the team in general was C.J. Mosley. Uh, once, uh, once the Ravens actually released him, that was one thing I was on Twitter the whole time, the moment the Ravens released him, saying they just need to sign C.J. Mosley because he's huge in the middle of a, of a defense. He's an impact defender. He makes other players around him better, and he makes the team overall <clears throat> better. Um, you know, so when you have him in that front seven, and you have Adams behind him, and then you have uh, Williams and Williams up front, it's just going to be it's going to be fun to watch those guys. They they, they made it quite a few pickups this year on the defense, and I like it. Yeah, I feel like they, that guy like Mosley sort of had that impact that like Bart Scott had when he first came to the Jets in 09 in terms of helping change the culture a bit. And Jamal Adams talked again the last said we need more dogs in the locker room. We need guys who want to compete and be here. I feel like Mosley's a big step in that direction. It's huge, uh, huge for the team. And, and everyone knows it. You know, Everyone around the league knows how CJ Mosley is. Again, it's, it was a shock that the Ravens actually let that type of player go. But, you know, sometimes when uh, teams give up on a player or feel like they can get a player for cheap, he goes somewhere else and continues to play as he, as he uh, used to play, and I feel that like T.J. Moses is going to come in and do the same thing that he's been that he was doing with, with Baltimore, and maybe even be better because uh, some of the talent that's around him right now, you know, is equivalent to uh, what he had in Baltimore. Yeah, obviously the one question I have with this defense is obviously the secondary because the safety spot seems okay, but there's quite about the depth in the corner. You think they can mask that by sort of getting to the passer faster like the Giants used to do back in the day when they use their four-man rush to help like get pressure off their corners. I think that's uh, the. I think that's our ideal situation right now. I think that's what they're going to try to do. I think that's what Greg Williams is probably preaching right now. He's got to help out everybody yeah. on the uh, backside of the ball, the backside of the defense by getting pressure. Um, that's what his forte. He brings a lot of pressure. Uh, so, you know, the the guys up front and even the the, the young guys that they have uh, coming off the edge, I think it's going to work pretty well for the Jets right now. Yes, obviously the Jets have not been to the playoffs since 2010 when they lost that AFC title game to, in Pittsburgh to the Steelers. Do you think the Jet fans can look forward to having a shot at their team getting back to the playoffs this year? I do. Um, the schedule is going to be tough. Um, that's the first half of the year. Depends on how they, they, they come out the first half. But, you know, I do think they actually have, have a chance because of the way that actually Sam ended up the year last year. He ended up the year playing great. I think he carries that over this year. The Jets have added weapons on both sides of the ball, so I think they do have a great shot at making the playoffs this year. Yeah, I think the big key that you mentioned the schedule, obviously they play New England twice the first, thing seven weeks of the season. They get Dallas and Philadelphia. I feel like if they get out of the first six games, three and three, they have a really shot to go places. Yes, uh, that's the, the big thing. Like I said, the first half of the season, it depends on how they come out the first half. Um, those first seven, eight games, if they you know, have a five and three, six and two record, you know, they definitely have a great shot then uh, because the second half of the season, I think it eases up a little bit, but the guys out there actually stay healthy. That's also a big key. All right, there we have it. Rob Carpenter, former Jet receiver. Thanks for all the time today for talking about the Jets. Before I let you go, do you want everybody to know how to follow on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Yeah, actually, uh, as you guys know, I'm on, I'm on social media. I'm on, I'm on Twitter most of the time. Uh, Rob Carpenter 81 is my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm on Instagram, allcarp81. Uh, but today... These days, I'm still doing the same thing. Now I'm trying to keep up with the Jets and, and sports in general. Uh, that's pretty much my life. All right, give Rob a follow on Twitter. He's a great follow. I follow him as well. Great stuff, Rob. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right, no problem, Mike. Have a good day. 
All right, there you have it. That is former Jet receiver Rob Carpenter. Some of the big headlines surrounding the Jets in training camp. The Jets begin the preseason on Thursday against the Giants. Up next, a baseball conversation with Mike DeMurray about the state of the game right after this. Infield overshifts for Jeff McNeil, who bats here in place of rain. And he clocks one to deep right field. Forget that. That is way out of here. And that goes over the stands out toward the Allegheny. Jeff McNeil clears the bleachers with a home run. A pinch hit home run for McNeil, his 12th of the year. And it gets the Mets back with it a run. It's now 3-2. to Welcome back to the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call is heard from SNY's Gary Cohen. Jeff McNeil homering over the weekend in Pittsburgh. The Mets win two out of three. We're going to talk a little baseball now on the podcast, but not as much about the current events of the Mets, which I'll get to next week. But an interesting conversation recently with former MLB producer Mike Demurgis, frequent guest on this podcast about the state of the game. Let's toss to that conversation with Mike now. Uh, Mike Demurtis is here with us today. Mike, how are you? Uh, good. Uh, you know, millennials aren't uh, interested in much, it seems, not just baseball. Yeah. But they, they don't have much interest in in anything unless it's on their phone, it seems like. Yeah, the millennials, I feel like, are now just into, like, the eSports. That's all I see to hear about. I remember I talked to Art Cal back about it in, I think, November, and he said eSports might be the biggest thing in, like, 15 years. Yeah, it's growing, and you have uh, these these online kind of leagues and everything and yeah. these eSports kind of leagues, so it's definitely growing, and baseball has its work cut out for them trying to stay relevant yeah before we dive into give me a little bit of your background with baseball again so the audience remembers like what you're yeah sure been a sports producer since 1997 produced several world series pre and post game shows uh was at sirius xm for five years host uh, producer and anchor of baseball this morning uh, with buck martinez so um uh, several all-star games so whenever the end of September came I was on the road for a full month of October at uh, at playoff games and world series games yeah, it's crazy to think about how much the game has changed even since you were doing this stuff for serious back in like the mid-90s to now. It's just like, it feels like a lightly or different sport. Yeah, it was um, my last couple of years at Sirius, the uh, advent of social media changed everything. So yeah. I went started there as a sports producer in 2006. By 2009, about half my time was doing social media stuff. So it, uh, it definitely changed. Yeah, so what do you think is the biggest change you've noticed in terms of size social media? Uh, as for the media coverage aspect, or are you just talking about the game itself? Let's say the game. Let's say the game itself. Well, the, stri- the strikeouts, yeah. um, the analytics have changed it. Um, you don't, you know, small ball has has disappeared. Um, a player's character isn't weighed in as much as um, the analytics of the game. And of course, you know, over the last years, you know, two thousands, early two thousands, players were lasting a lot longer. Uh, play until their early 40s because of steroids and performance enhancing drugs now players now uh it's back to the, the you know the, the the new 36 is the old 36 they're, they're not around that was a twilight of their careers yeah i mean i feel like the definitely the analytics has really changed the game because i feel like it's kind of like it's happened in the nba with the three-point revolution where now the mid-range jumper is dead everybody wants to shoot threes or dunk the basketball well, you know, this is what baseball thinks is the right way to do things. It's the strikeout or the home run. What they, what they don't realize is that they're killing the viewer because to watch a guy take six or seven pitches up there is just really extending the game. It's not fun to watch guys strike out. I liked small ball. Uh, Billy Martin was called Billy Ball back in the day when you'd bunt, suicide, squeeze, hit and run. All that stuff uh, is taking the excitement out of the game. Not that home runs aren't exciting because going back to McGuire and Sosa – in 98, we're going to break Roger Maris's record. The thing was, you know, the chicks dig the long ball. That was a campaign with Heather Locklear. But 
the strike the strikeouts are up tremendously over the last five years exponentially and i think it's destroying the game yeah i feel like the three true outcomes they find the worst thing could have happened to baseball because i know sayermetrically it makes sense that you want to get on base hit home runs and men on base and increase your chance of scoring but like in terms of this pure entertainment value i feel like the game just suffers from that because there's not enough balls in play and whales they're not going to sit there and just watch guys stand around for two hours no and and the, the defense suffers because they kind of fall asleep a little bit yeah. so it's not exciting and in watching a strikeout again even myself aaron judge every time up he's taking six seven pitches it's yeah. too much yeah. it's too much it is too much, and I, th- I feel a lot of it comes down to like the stack cast era now, where you have all this stuff like your exit velocity, your launch angle, your spin I, rate. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I don't mind that, you know, you know, how, as a supplement to everything. But when it takes away, I mean, what, what are you telling me that a guy like Billy Martin couldn't manage today, Earl Weaver couldn't manage today? You know, you know, back in the day too, George Steinbrenner, like they have the GMs um, uh, basically down in the dugout now. You know, George Steinbrenner used to call up Billy Martin and tell him, you know, who to bring in there, who not to. He did that with his managers, but. You're telling me some of the greatest managers of all time couldn't manage today, where a manager has to say, we think? Are you kidding me? We think? Yeah. I mean, a manager who played the game like like Aaron Boone needs to say, we think. Yeah. you got to be kidding me. I want the managers to give me a raw emotion. Okay, It's becoming too robotic, and that's what baseball has become, and it's going to kill itself. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot. There's not a personality in a sport anymore because they've had issues last year where the league was calling out Mike Trout for not promoting himself enough in in the media landscape. But then you have all these managers going away, and you have all these cookie cutter guys like your Boones, your Mickey Callaways. We're all doing the corporate speak, and the guys like the Joe Maddens are all starting to fade out of the sport. Well, that you not only that, but you have a, a, a lack of black players in the league now. So you take that aspect out of it, you're you're basically you know leaving out uh, a significant number of players that really made the sport popular in the in the six in late sixties, seventies, and eighties. I mean, players like Reggie Jackson, Dave Parker. Are you kidding me? Dusty Baker. Uh, so many black players. Bob Gibson, of course, in the sixties. Uh, you're, you're basically excluding them out of the sport right now. Yeah, I just think also like in terms of the personality aspect as well because like. I feel like there's this whole line being drawn between the old school people. Who are like you have to like drop the bat and you hit a home where you don't stare at you run just jog the bases carefully and then as opposed to people who like flip the bat like have a big celebration and they get thrown out the next time they're at the plate. It's well, not- well, I mean that the baseball is saying they want that they want the excitement. Here's what baseball needs to do, and and then they're not going to do it. Number one, and I think other sports like like basketball and hockey need to do this too. You don't need 82 games in basketball. You don't need uh, you know that many games in hockey. Go down to a 50 game schedule. Let's stick with baseball. I mean, we, we're starting games, you know, in in late March, and that's why you're seeing a lot of the injuries because baseball shouldn't start till April 15th. Let's be honest. I mean, you got players that their their muscles are warm down in Florida and Arizona, then they're coming to the Northeast or, or the Midwest, and they're tightening up. So baseball needs to accept the fact they need to go to 145 game schedule. That's number one, because you have the extra round of playoffs, and that's added excitement. Add another round, extra round of playoffs. Let's do that. We don't need 162 games. Number two. Baseball will not do this as well. It needs to go to seven innings, okay? This way, the starting pitcher can go six innings, and you only need a relief pitcher to go one or two innings right there. So, you know, seven-inning game would be great. Okay, you're going to say to me, okay, but you're not going to get as many at-bats, and then baseball stats are going to be compromised. Well, they're compromised already through through steroids and everything. So, what you, you know what you do? Instead of having nine batters, have eight batters. Just get rid of the DH, and the pitcher doesn't hit. So you have a one through eight instead of a one through nine. 
Yeah, the problem with all those things, though, is money because the owner's not going to get up the home gates. There's and, other and ways then. to make up for it through online. They, they make billions of dollars online. There's other ways to make up through it. An extra round of playoffs will take care of that. They're, they're, you know, One of the reasons the NFL is so popular and March Man is so popular is the immediate impact of being ousted. There's, there's a lack of games, and there's too many games in baseball right now. I don't disagree with that because I mean going on like going on a random Tuesday to watch a Mets like Royals game is not really appealing to anybody. So no, it's it's boring as hell. Let's be honest with you. Who, who's going to want to watch it? And, and you're going to tell me with stadiums maybe fifteen thousand that they're making they're making money. I mean it costs money to open up the door. Uh, so it, it's an issue. And they I, I think the seven inning rule would be great. I mean, since we have pitchers go five or six innings, you're not relying on four relievers to get to the ninth. Yeah. And, and number one, and then you're cutting down the time. People would rather watch a two-hour and ten-minute game than a three-hour and forty-five-minute marathon. Yeah, so you think that would be a more effective way to do it than what they're talking about right now, which is the pitch clock and the three-batter minimum? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, this is all good stuff that they're doing. I, I, I agree with it, but the games are, the length of the games are too long. Yeah, I remember I talked to Rick Cerrone a couple months ago, and he used to talk about how back in the 80s that the Yankee games start at 8 o'clock at night. They'd still be done at 10. Now they start at 635 in April, and their games are still not done until like 1030. Well, yeah, because when you have a starting pitcher that's going to go eight innings, it's not an issue. But, you know, back in 1975, Catfish Hunter threw 30 complete games. Yeah. 30 complete games by himself. That's more than the, the most of the American League. I think that's more than the whole league, to be honest with you. Getting, uh, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's that issue, and... Um, you know, with the strikeouts and, and also this whole infield shift rule, I can't stand. Yeah, like speaking of the shift, I and mean, one thing I think that drives people crazy is the fact that, like, there's not a lot of balls in play. And when they do go and play, everybody's trying to launch the ball to the outfield, hit homers, and you have these lefties just pound into the, set, the shift and the second baseman's playing out in right field and throws them out. So Right, and they, when, basically ended Mark Teixeira's yeah, career early. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with the shift, I, I think there should be a rule that a player has to have, like, a second baseman has to have one foot on the infield you can shift him as far as you want between second and first but he has to have one foot on the infield so the shortstop the same thing one foot on the infield but he can't veer over to the second base side yeah. so i think there does need to be rules in, in play yeah i feel like that would also help with like putting more athletes on the field because you need guys who can cover the ground fast supposed to just putting in these like robotic sluggers is there to hit like 30 homers and strike out 200 times and the, the game for 100 years players are hitting the ball where traditionally there'd be base hits so you, you don't have that, and, and it's just brought averages way, way down. Yeah, I also think that the game needs to do better marketing itself in terms of like just reaching out to the millennial generation because I see the Mets did something this year where they have like a $39 monthly pass where you just get two standard tickets to any game you want aside from outside of opening day of the Subway Series, and then it's reduced monthly. I think that's a unique way. You think there's more ideas like that that can help get younger fans into the ballpark? You know, going to the park's an interesting thing. I mean, it's, it's an experience, sure, but I'd rather watch a game at home. Yeah. You know, if the game stinks, I'll put something else on. I don't have to pay for parking. I don't have to pay for tickets. I don't have to pay for food. I don't have to deal deal, deal with a bozo next to me, which used to happen to me all the time at the Jet Games. I'd get the guy that was 350 pounds, and I could feel comfortable in my seat. So, uh, you know, the home experience is too good right now, and it's difficult to get people out of their comfort zone. Yeah, so let's go back to social media for one second. How do you think baseball is adapting to social media right now? I remember a couple a couple months back looking for when Pete Alonso hit the massive home run in Atlanta that went in the water. I went online looking for the clip on YouTube. They did not have that clip by itself up, them or the Mets. They, it was just game highlights for a while. Like I feel like there's stuff like that is stuff they need to work on. I think they've done a decent job. Usually if I, you know, I've seen other teams on Twitter when a guy hits a home run, it's usually yeah. up pretty quick. So I, I think they've done a decent job. You got to realize people are still trying to figure this whole social media thing out, 
it's it's still relatively new and it's an infancy kind of like radio was in the 1920s so you, they're still trying to figure it out and then the biggest thing is just the effective way of reaching people and and, and growing the fan base which is hard you, you gotta realize baseball has a great fan base too all the minor league teams that are around baseball that are supported so it's just not the major league teams i mean the number of people that you know major league baseball gets more in park attendance than all the other sports so and if you include the minor leagues yeah, speaking of the minor leagues, I know one of the issues of the minor leagues is that also like a lot of these guys who are on two-sport tracks, they don't want to go through the minor league process because they get paid next to nothing. So like that's what happened with Kyler Murray. I mean, he got picked by the A's. He said, you know, I'm going to go play football. I'm going to make my money faster. So you think if we pay the minor leaguers better, we would get better athletes into the game, and that would help make the game more exciting. Yeah, I think some, you know, obviously a bigger signing moments would help. Uh, something needs to be worked out because a guy's not going to want to be in the minor leagues for four years and has to wait another extended period of time till uh till they're able to get that free agent contract so but you're seeing some teams make deals with players uh, you saw the Mets do it early on with with uh, Jose Reyes and David Wright where they didn't have to go to free agency they signed them up didn't work out for the Mets shocking um but uh, you know it's they do have that option before they hit the free agency market I and mean, it's being talked about with Aaron Judge you try to try to sign him up before free agent market hits in this way make him happy or just wait the free agent market yeah, I think another thing they need to work on is I think they have to do a better job promoting their own players just because you have guys like I saw, I don't know if you saw the ESPN like a uh, notable 100 list a couple of weeks ago where they had their magazine rate the 100 best athletes in the sport in terms of sports in terms of popularity worldwide. They didn't, there was not a single baseball player on that list, which is incredible. You think of guys like Mike Trout and Bryce Harper playing this game. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, I grew up in an era when, you know, Reggie Jackson, Dave Parker, Mike Schmidt, Tom Seaver, Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry. Uh, they were as big as anybody, and that's not the case with Major League Baseball anymore. Yeah, so if Rob Manfred walked up to you on the street tomorrow and said, Mike, I want to fix the game, I want to make more millennials involved in it and get more people care about it, what would you tell him? Uh, I, I like the seven-inning uh, seven uh, idea, uh, the shift idea where a player has to put one foot on the infield and also the 145-game schedule. Those are my three ways to fix baseball, and you'd see a big change in the game. That sounds good. Mike, thanks for all the time. Before I let you go, you want to let me know how to find on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Sure. Just uh, follow me at Sports Radio Prof uh, right on Twitter. All right, Mike, thanks for all the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And there you have it. That was my conversation with Mike Demurgis on the state of baseball. You can follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio Prof. Up next, this week's two-minute drill. We're going to take a look at the newest season of Amazon's All or Nothing, the show about following an NFL team throughout the season. That's coming up right after this. All right, we are back on this week's two-minute drill. We're talking about the Amazon Prime series, All or Nothing. For those who are not familiar with it, if you have watched Hard Knocks, the idea behind following an NFL team throughout training camp, Amazon's All or Nothing is basically the same concept, except they follow a team throughout the course of regular season. Debuted in the twenty with the 2015 season, look at the Arizona Cardinals, wins the NFC Championship game that year. Following season, look at the LA Rams, who moved to LA. Had the drama at the end of that year there about Jeff Fisher getting fired. Last year was the Cowboys. This year's edition looks at the 2018 season of the Carolina Panthers, who had a very, very interesting year that year. In case you forgot, this Panther team started 6-2, fell out of the playoff race with a massive seven-game losing streak. 
Cam Newton was playing hurt that year. He had a shoulder injury that basically sapped him down the stretch. It'll be interesting to see how this collapse plays out in the locker room. Spoiler alert, I have seen two episodes of the show so far. And again, it's similar to Hard Knocks in that you get the behind-the-scenes content. That's all good stuff. A lot of interesting things here. And always fun to see the backstory of some of these players. Some that they're like off the field. There was a bit in the pilot in the premiere episode where Greg Olson, the tight end, explained to his teammates the concept of the musical Hamilton. And that was hilarious. It was a lot of funny. Episode 2, a lot of interesting storylines to set up. They have they follow the story of the Panthers. They deal with Hurricane Florence, which hit the Carolinas early last year. We saw t- defensive end Julius Peppers go visit uh, families who were affected by the hurricane. That was great stuff. We saw the Panthers debating whether or not to sign safety Eric Reed. We saw Ron Rivera talking, talking to both Torrey Smith and Cam Newton about what the impact of Reed on the team would be. We saw the story of defensive end F.A. Odaba, who was born in Nigeria, moved to the United Kingdom when he was 10, came to the NFL without ever playing college football, and he comes in, he makes his debut for the Panthers last year, has a pick in his first game. A lot of fun stuff. And I think this show is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I can't wait to finish watching this series and see what happens with Cam Newton and the gang and how the whole end of the year collapse played out. It'll be a lot of fun stuff there. Again, I recommend checking it out. If you have an Amazon Prime account, you can sign up for a free trial, I'm sure, somewhere. Check it out. Go back and look at some of the other seasons, too. The L.A. Ram I recommend specifically because it was fun seeing how the season sort of disintegrated and Fisher got himself fired. The Fellows Film Review Trilogy, because last week we did Peyton's Places. It's going to conclude next week. We're going to look at the recap of the season premiere of Hard Knocks, which airs tomorrow. And it covers the Oakland Raiders this year with Antonio Brown, John Gruden, all those personalities. A lot of fun, guys. Can't wait. And that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Rob Carpenter, for coming by to talk about the New York Jets. And for Mike Demurgis, be taking the time to chat about the state of baseball with me. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at how the Mets came back from the dead, check out the blog over at justsendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You will find it there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag prospecthugger. You made it to the end of this week's show. Next up, we have a bonus episode this week. We're going to do another Just Enjoy the Show episode with some entertainment news. I'm going to chat with Pete Considori to break down Stranger Things Season 3. A lot of fun there. And some Comic-Con movie stuff with our resident film critic, Jonathan Stanko. That will be coming up later this week. Until then, hope you have a better week than Red Sox fans. (laughs) 